Right, so we've got a question here from um, Michelle in uh, Ripon, North Yorkshire. Uh, which wrestler, past or present, would you like to have a wrestling match with? Brett the Hitman Hart. Why? Why? Because I think he could even make me look good in a wrestling ring. Yeah, I'm like, my one is pretty much the same. I'll go for Sean. Not so much for the making me look good, which he would do, but uh, he'd take all the bumps. And I'd probably end up doing the job, but it'd be the only bump I'd take. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode one of the Heel Turn Wrestling Podcast. I am Titan, back again with you, and I'm not back alone. I have... A co-host, finally, Mr. DC. How are you doing, sir? All good, thanks. Yeah, all yeah, good. Happy yeah. to be here, yeah. Happy to be here. Well, that's um, that's an improvement on my last co-host. <laughs> I, d- I didn't have a last co-host. I don't even know what I'm on about. Right, today <laughs> we are here to talk about something very special in terms of wrestling and it's something we have uh, we have bonded over as friends, and it's something that we are very fond of, and it's a pay-per-view from 1997. Do you want to let the people in, those who haven't already seen the thumbnail, which I'm sure they will have done by now, do you want to let the people know what are we talking about today, Daniel? Okay, so we're going to be talking about One Night Only, uh, the UK pay-per-view from 1997. We certainly are, and uh, that pay-per-view is very special to us. Uh, why? Why is it so special to us, Daniel? Many reasons. It, uh, was the, uh, it was the first pay-per-view we ever attended as friends, yeah. We certainly did. And just just, just out of interest, was that the first time you'd ever been to a, a WWE show before? WWE... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was mine too, and it was um, just before we get into the actual uh, the wrestling side of it, we are going to keep circling back to our own personal experiences. Do you remember when we were first informed that this was happening? Do you remember who told you? Because uh, I re- I remember where I was and what was happening when I was told. Do you remember? You're going to have to go ahead. Yeah. Okay, no, that's fine. So um, our good friend, Ricky, was um, at his nan's watching Raw, as he tended to do. And uh, he rang me uh, at my home on the uh, the landline. Remember them, kids? Yeah, landlines. They were phones you plugged into the wall. Still remember your number? Go on, then. Three eight. I'm not going to say it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that. Off yeah, that yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Still got it. Still got it. Yeah. Um, so if you can guess the other five numbers, <laughs> please feel free to give me a call. Anyway, um, our friend Rick uh, calls me and he says, uh, uh, "Did you know they're doing they're doing a show on my birthday?" And uh, our other mutual friend, uh, Mr. Tully, was at my house at the time. Uh, I told him and my mother and his mother were there and it turned very much into a, uh, like a Cartman. Ma'am, ma'am, can I have a one night only ticket, please? And, um, yeah, I mean, it obviously worked because we ended up, eight of us in the end, uh, three parents and, uh, five, uh, smaller folks, me, you, uh, Ricky, 
Mr. Tully and uh, Mr. Tim Drage. Tim, if you hear this, how are you doing, Bal? Um, I'm going to ask uh, our editor, Curtis, to uh, put the uh, infamous photo of uh, us five outside uh, my home. Uh, if Curtis, if you could put that on the screen now. Now, um, the two gentlemen you see uh, pulling their ears out and sticking their tongues out, that is uh, myself and Rick. We were dressed as the headbangers because... Uh, with stars like The Undertaker, The Hitman, Shawn Michaels and The British Bulldog, why wouldn't you dress like the headbangers? And uh, the three gentlemen in front um, are Mr. Tim Drage, Mr. Adam Tully and your good self, Daniel. And um, why are you flipping off my mother in that photograph? That's the only time <laughs> I can get away with it. <clears throat> that is a very good point, yeah. Um, the, the, the most devastating opponent any of us faced was, um, was my mother. Love you, Mum. Don't hurt me. Um, yeah, so... Um, that's our personal experiences as far as finding out um, that we were going to go to our first ever WWF show. And we were longtime fans at this point. And um, just, again, instantly the excitement levels drew. Um, while I unfurl my tongue again, the excitement levels grew immensely knowing that we were going to be going to this WWE pay-per-view, the second only UK pay-per-view and the first UK exclusive pay-per-view because the US wouldn't get this pay-per-view for another, I believe it was two months before they got to see it on that side of the Atlantic. So we're going to get into the actual, what was going on in the wrestling, um, in the wrestling world at the time. Uh, as far as WWE goes, what do you remember in and around, say from like SummerSlam 97 uh, through One Night Only through to like, I guess, Montreal? What do you remember? What sticks out in that period? Because we're going through a real sort of shift in the wrestling industry, especially in WWE. What are your memories from that era? Having not watched it, for watched that period back, for a long time I think what really sticks out to me is probably for me this was kind of the the prime era of wrestling yeah I've never attitude era for me overrated controversial opinion by, by, by attitude era you mean like the sort of the 98 the crowning of Steve Austin yeah. in, into like the early 2000s yeah right it, yeah, for yeah. me this was my kind of personal favourite ever Era. I, th I, th I think I think um, again that that it's you say controversial opinion, but for me, this era of wrestling uh, is one of those where, in hindsight, it, it it does to me stand up as the 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 era the era that changed the business. Whereas at the time because of how frantic the Austin McMahon stuff was and it was very um, just high octane and it just didn't stop. Uh, there was a lot more like nuance, a lot more, I don't know. It just, it was, just, it, it, when you look back on uh, 1997, just as one standalone year, when you go from January to December and you look at how the business in WWE especially, changed. It's 
you're right. It's a very, very, very pivotal time in wrestling. Is is there a moment in in that era where you go right? That sticks out a mile. That sticks out in in your in your mind. Not just seven. Ninety seven. Yeah. Probably. I think SummerSlam was when everything started to kind of start to peak a bit, and you had mm-hmm. the main event. It was kind of the end of the new generation-y kind of era. Definitely. And I think when Brett spat at Sean, everything just started to change a bit. It was, yeah, because that was kind of the... There was there was obvious backstage heat. I mean, we, me and you, we were um, we were discussing this earlier. Uh, we were both readers of uh, Power Slam magazine. Yeah. And we'd read uh, that... Uh, not only did Sean and Brett not get on on, t- on screen, yeah. uh, it wasn't exactly plain sailing backstage. And to see that manifest itself with Brett spits at Michaels, Michael swings the chair, The Undertaker has to be counted down by Michaels, and Brett takes his then fifth WWF title. Yeah. Um, it was almost like that was where the innocence of the new generation, so it died there. Absolutely, and yeah. you could you could make a case to say everyone's got their own opinion on when the Attitude Era started. You can probably, as a flashpoint, put it right there: the minute Brett spits at Sean, yeah, because it was a chain. It was a total shift for Brett because although Brett had been like anti-America, pro-Canada, that was the moment where you were like, "Oh my God, Brett! Brett really is." You know, he 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 really is like shades of grey now. He's not wholesome. He's not yeah. just a wholesome, you know, hero that he always had been, even if it's just in Canada. But yeah, that that is definitely a moment. I think for me, I think the moment that sticks out, being more of a, um, uh, I don't want to say an Austin guy because I mean everyone to some degree was an Austin guy. I think just just the. Um, just the rise of Steve Austin and the kind of, in a roundabout way, how him getting injured again at SummerSlam 97 with Owen, yeah. the pile driver, um, him getting injured actually propelled him higher because he wasn't wrestling. He was just coming out on television and he was just causing carnage. They had to be very creative in how they used him because he couldn't take bumps and they probably didn't know if he could, would ever take bumps again. Fortunately, we did get three, four years of prime Steve Austin, which uh, I'm sure we're all grateful for. But they had to be really creative in how they used him. And from the time he got injured to the time he come back, which was actually at the Montreal Survivor Series, uh, there's a lot of pinpoint moments. Like, that's when he just started um, stunnering uh, members of staff. Like, he stunned Jim Ross, he stunned Sergeant Slaughter, he stunned Jerry the King Lawler, and then he stunned Vince. And we see the very first, actually on the night after, the roar after, one night only, we see the first stunner on Vince McMahon, the first of many. So, yeah, 1997... Huge year for wrestling. So now we've uh, discussed our um, our like memories of just the general uh, wrestling uh, landscape in W, especially in uh, WWF at the time. Uh, one night only specifically. Um, 
I'm just going to ask you if you can just pull up on your um, device there the uh, the one night only card because it was a um, it was a it was a great card which we will get into. We're going to run through it here. So Daniel, if you can read out the match by match, I have the original one night only card here. So I want you to read out each match, not the results, just the match. And I will compare it with what the original card was and we'll contrast and compare and see if we would have preferred the card we got versus the card we were originally promised. So what's the first match? So you got Huntas Townsley against Dude Love. Yep, that's on here. Tiger Ali Singh has a blast from the past. It certainly is. Against Leaf Cassidy. Oh wow. No, that no, that wasn't on the original card. Okay. Um the Headbangers. Yes. Against Los Bariquas. Yep, that was on the original card, yep. The Patriot against Flash Funk. Yep, no, 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 no. He no, not on there, no. Okay, the Legion of Doom against the Godwins. Yes, that's on the original card. Vader against Owen Hart. That's not on the original card. Bret Hart against The Undertaker. That's not on the original card. And main event, Shawn Michaels against the British Bulldog. That is on the original card. So I make that one, two, three, four matches from the original announcement made it to the actual show. I'm now going to tell you the matches that were originally promised and you tell me if you'd have preferred these matches to what we got. So the matches that were late additions were Tiger Ali Singh and Leaf Cassidy. Yep. Would you have preferred to see Ken Shamrock versus Owen Hart over Tiger Ali Singh and Leaf Cassidy? Over that, yes, but over Owen against Vader, probably not. Right, okay. That's an interesting take. So the next one, the Patriot versus Flash Funk. Would you have rather seen The Undertaker versus Ahmed Johnson? Again, over that match... Yes. But not necessarily over Brett and The Undertaker. Absolutely not. Okay. This might swing it because um, the other match we were promised but did not get. Like you say, there was a Vader and Owen Hart. Yeah. Uh, the other match we were promised that we did not get was Brett the Hitman Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, title for title. As as a semi-main event, not the main event, because that was Bulldog and Sean. So, basic, so basically, Austin, Shamrock and Ahmed Johnson all come down with injuries. So they end up combining the um, Undertaker and Brett because Ahmed and Austin weren't there. Um, Shamrock does appear on the show, but uh, he's not wrestling. Uh, Owen Hart ends up facing Vader as a late addition. So when you look at that card versus the card we got, again, there's certain matches where you look at it and you say, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't swap it for that. But just as, and, I, and you're a Brett guy, anyone who knows you knows you're a Brett guy. I mean, you're a Brett guy, you're engaged to a Brett girl. You've all got one, <laughs> you've all got one thing in common yeah. with Brett and you all, the, the one thing in common you all have with Brett Hart is that you love Brett Hart. So, Austin versus Hitman, Undertaker versus Hitman. At the time, which is the more 
which is the more gripping to you? Now, we got Undertaker versus Hitman live. We saw it. We were there. Yeah, I've got to take Austin Hitman. Me too, because... It's the best match of all time. It is, yeah, and, and, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Still my, my, my best... With all due respect to Sean and The Undertaker, Austin versus Brett. Yeah, we got robbed of that. Yes, we did, yeah. Austin versus Hitman, that was the one. We did get robbed of that, you're right. So, that was the original card. And um, personally, I lean towards the original card. But what we ended up getting was probably a more balanced, um, more more of a standard WWF pay-per-view card at the time. Because that that was a full on super show card they were they promised us. Yeah. And again, injuries happen, it's just the way the way the world works. Now this is in a time so, so September nineteen ninety seven. Uh very different time to today. Um just to give you uh, some perspective, obviously me and uh, yourself, Mr. Chettle. We um, we lived it. We were there. We remember it. But but we we were youngsters. We didn't have these um, uh, adult <laughs> adult problems. You know, first world problems. Well, they are. Yeah, you know, true. you know, we didn't we didn't have bills to pay. That was parental stuff, yeah. wasn't it? Exactly. So, just a quick rundown. Uh, in September nineteen ninety seven, just a few like uh, stories of the day. Um, we're just three weeks off. Um, the uh, the death of Princess Diana, which was uh, worldwide news, and obviously very sad. We had just installed uh, for the first time in eighteen years a Labour government. How we could do with that again right now? And um, yeah, I know they say don't talk politics, but <laughs> I can't help it. It's and um, and uh, just to keep things in keeping with twenty twenty two, Israel and Palestine are still knocking seven colours out of each other. So no change there then. And um, here's a few things for you. So the average house price in nineteen ninety seven was uh, sixty thousand uh, pounds. A liter of unleaded petrol was fifty eight pence. And uh, how many people do you remember saying, "If it goes over a pound, I'm never driving," and they all still drive? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a pint of milk was 35 pence and um, another one of our friends, Mr. Kijak, will not like this one. A pint of beer was pound eighty in September 1997, but none of that affected us because we were too young anyway. Uh, the top movie at the time was uh, In and Out by Kevin Klein. I must have missed that one. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Klein as the star. Uh, the top song at the time, again, circling back to Princess Diana, uh, was Candle in the Wind. And uh, the other two big songs at the time were The Drugs Don't Work by The Verve and Men in Black by Will Smith. Um, all classics in their own way. So, were you a Men in Black fan, Daniel? Yeah, I'm still I'm just playing through Candle in the Wind in my head now. Yeah, it, um, yeah, it took... It, it, we've all got PTSD from the song. Obviously, it was Jesus, a good yeah. cause. It was, it was a good <laughs> cause, but yeah. Um, yeah, you couldn't get away from the strains of uh, Elton there, could yeah. you? Yeah, it was difficult. So, yeah, so that's uh, just, um, just to give you a, a bit of tone for the time. So, uh, now we've gone through the uh, preamble, um, let's jump into the actual card. So... Uh, he says so obviously we'll go back to where where we were um we get to the we get to the uh show after uh my uh my mum taking us the wrong way and 
me shouting at her from the back seat. Uh, we finally get there, and uh, I was convinced we weren't going to get it in time because we're 10 minutes away, and uh, you can hear music playing in the arena, and there's still a load of people in front of us. And then all of a sudden, the, the floodgates just opened, and I guess they just thought, let them all in. So in we go. Uh, I can remember losing everybody because I was like, oh, my God, it's Triple H coming out. And uh, naturally, because that's what wrestlers do, they make entrances and they come out to wrestle and I'm just standing there with my mouth open. Um, what was the what was it like walking into that arena and seeing the WWF set up for you for the first time? Did it did, were you sort of? Yeah, it's just wide eyed, really. I yeah. Think. Really yeah. wide-eyed kid at the time. Uh-huh. I was trying to get past the uh, hilarity of Rick wearing that Shawn Michaels biker hat. <laughs> like a leather hat. Yeah, so um, unfortunately, um, all all, uh, <clears throat> all photographs from this period are um, were on uh, disposable cameras. And um, that hat was amazing. And uh, I don't think we've got a photo of that, no. unfortunately, because if we had, uh, we would be putting that up. Our friend Rick uh, decided, as it was his birthday, he was going to make some WWF related purchases and he bought a leather stone cold head uh, bandana and he bought the Shawn Michaels uh, Village People biker hat. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with that. And Absolutely not. not no. no, no, and not that we're implying anything. But um, Google, Google the village people. There's um, there's a biker, <laughs> and um, Sean Michaels did used to dress like um, a member of the village people back in the day. And uh, our friend Rick bought it, and um, none of us made fun of him for it at all. Absolutely not. No, 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 because no, we're, um, we're 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 nice. We're nice young men. But yeah, I just, I just... I remember walking in and Triple H was coming out. That's kind of my hazy memory of it. I just yeah. remember that kind of, what was it, like opera kind of music, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, he wasn't quite DX Triple H yet. We would get to that very shortly. Yeah, you just kind of, everything's going at like 100 miles an hour at that age, isn't it? You yeah, just kind of, yeah. It's uh, just so much sensory overload, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. So we get, um, we get into the match... Um, uh, good back and forth contest um, with Triple H eventually coming out the winner, of course, uh, with help from China. Um, there was a uh, promo prior to the match, uh, Dude Love, uh, on the big screen and uh, standard. As soon as they come over, as soon as they come over to the UK, we'll cram in as many uh, we'll cram in as many stereotypes as we can. But to Mick Foley's credit, he didn't do the uh, jolly good show old chap uh, he uh, just imitated uh, Austin Powers so we'll give him a pass yeah yeah so um next up we um we had uh, Tiger Ali Singh versus Leaf Cassidy a main event anywhere in the world I'm sure you'll agree um we um we weren't fans of uh, Tiger Ali Singh were we we were not no and um we can't we can't exactly repeat what we said to him, can we? Absolutely not. No, and uh, we was uh, no, and just just for the record, it was nothing racist, but there are standards on YouTube, and um, if we were to repeat it, it could be interpreted as us being nasty. So um, it was a different time, 
and uh, we were we were we were very naughty boys, Your Honour, and we're very sorry, aren't we, Daniel? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can I can I can see the despair. I can see the despair on your face. I can see the despair on your face. No, um we we were fans of neither competitor and I can quite safely assume that a good portion of us uh, probably went to the toilet at this point or went to buy some merchandise. Um Tiger Ali Singh ends up winning with his spinning heel kick finisher. Good for him. So up next uh, a big moment for me and uh and our buddy Rick, because it was the Headbangers, and we went dressed as the Headbangers. So, uh, being dressed as the Headbangers, we were we were having a wonderful time, and uh, the match was fine. It was what it was. Um, uh, the Headbangers end up retaining. Uh, Mosh hits the bombs away on uh, Miguel Perez, and gets the three count, and uh, we're all happy with that. It's fine. Um, Just quickly. Yes. So you dressed as the headbangers? Yes. They used to wear skirts. They did. How did you replicate the skirts? I can't remember. Are you serious? I can kind of remember. I okay. want to say bin bags. Yes, but... it was. Yeah, okay. yeah so uh, black, bin, black bin liners. Okay. Black bin liners and with the uh, bottom cut out. Yeah. And uh, I just uh, wrapped it as tightly around my waist as possible and then got sellotape to hold it. Brilliant. Um... Rick was less patient with his, and if you actually look in the photo from earlier in the podcast, you'll actually see Rick has already removed his, and he's just wearing shorts because you know, again, got got to look cool for a photo. Whereas uh, I'm not first. Cool. I I I I was going to wear, and I even and I even replicated Mosh's um, red and white um, tights. By using bandages and a red felt tip pen because I'm I'm punk rock. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so uh, the headbangers get the win with Mosh's bombs away onto Miguel Perez. Uh, the headbangers end up retaining their tag team titles. Wonderful stuff. Now at this point we get a couple of promos on the screen. We have uh, David Boy Smith um, sitting with Jim Ross earlier in the day. Uh, David Boy Smith says he's dropped uh, approximately £20 to deal with Shawn Michaels' uh, basically uh, superior speed. And he also, and this is going to become a uh, very uncomfortable thing uh, later on, he also dedicates the match to his uh, sister, who is um, at the time struggling with uh, cancer. And then... We uh, we cut to a, a very different um, interview. We see uh, Shawn Michaels, who is completely sober, clearly. Um, he says, being interviewed by Sonny, which in um, retrospect is all kinds of uncomfortable. Um, how would you describe um, Shawn Michaels' state of mind going into this this big match? I'm just trying to think back. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, so he, so he's got that kind of he's chewing gum and he's uh, flirting with Sonny. Look, after the Bulldogs promo, there's no way he can lose. Let's be honest. No, you're right. You're right. And then Sean's kind of his usual in between cocky self, isn't he? At that point. Yeah. 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 And uh, you just think at this stage of the evening. 
there's absolutely no way the Bulldog can lose this match. Absolutely not. And uh, you think, right, well, Sean's just being a heel. Yeah. You know, he, he's hitting on the girl, he's cocky, and yeah, you know. Um, yeah, he's dedicated it to his uh, his sister, who's poorly. Why, how, how, could it, how could it go any other way? Um, we'll circle back to that. Uh, but next up, we have another... Uh, Delightful offering from uh, the WWF, and that is the Patriot versus Flash Funk. Now, essentially two baby faces going at it here. There's no stakes. Uh, the Patriot, however, instantly makes himself the de facto heel because with all due respect to anybody who listens to this from the United States, if you are waving a flag of the country you are from in another country, you're going to get booed. I have no problem with the United States or any other country. Uh, no, 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 you know, if you're proud of where you're from, that's great. But there was no way he was going to get a babyface reaction from the crowd in Birmingham waving the United States flag. I know he was, an, I know he was the Patriot. I know that was what he was meant to do, but... Uh, no, he was the he he was he was the heel, and he got booed out of the building in Birmingham, Mister Chettle. Um, and so I guess that made us uh, Flash Funk fans, if only for the evening. Yeah, and purely because he was too cold, Scorpio. Yep, there you go, too cold, Scorpio from um, WCW and ECW. Um, obviously, he got saddled with a let's call it a very Vince gimmick. Yeah, Vince's point of reference for um, a, a charismatic uh, black fella would have been something from the seventies. That is why he wore a zoot suit and humongous boots. And Who was the up- guy they they tried to kind of recreate that with? Recently, massive dude. Can't remember his name. What Flash Funk? Kind of similar. He had like dancers and stuff. Oh, um, no way, Jose. No, no, no weren't him. There's another guy. He had tattoos and. He was a he's a massive dude and NXT no or WWE. WWE he had like similar to the what they called the Funkettes yeah yeah he had a very similar gimmick what was it oh uh, no not Velveteen Dream what was his name that's gonna wind me up now if you think of it before we before we finish was it Brodus Clay yes yeah. they just yes. tried to they went down the exact same route with him. Yeah, yeah, it was very, yeah, 70s with the disco ball, yeah. I don't know why, it's never really worked. Yeah, because it would have worked in the 70s when disco was a thing. Yeah. And, but again, you know, we're talking Vince McMahon, his point of reference, again, you know, he doesn't watch films, he doesn't, you know, he's, uh, he doesn't watch films, he doesn't keep up with pop culture. Again, his last point of reference for a charismatic black guy would have been something from the 1970s. That's why he came out to disco music. Yeah. And he's called Flash Funk. It definitely wasn't funk. It was it was disco. Yeah. And Brodus Clay, 20 years later or 15 years later, is coming out with um, his Funkadactyls. That was it. The Funkadactyls, yeah. yeah. Naomi and uh, Cameron. And uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's just never going to land in this day and age because it's outdated just like a lot of stuff Vince came up with later on in his uh, in his career. But yeah. again, enough about 2022. Let's get back to 1997 now. With uh, the next match, 
which is the Legion of Doom versus the Godwins, a match we had seen several times already this year. There was a bit of history to this match. The Godwins, uh, Henry Godwin, excuse me, Henry Godwin has suffered a broken neck. I don't know if you remember this. Henry Godwin took the Doomsday device, and if you think like of the Godwins and LOD, that's four big dudes. Yeah. That is four gigantic dudes. Henry Godwin on top of animal shoulders. Hawk completes the Doomsday device. Henry does the backflip to take the bump. Doesn't go all the way over. He lands on his head in May. I think it was either May or June. And uh, breaks one of his discs in his neck and puts him on the shelf for a while. Um... In the meantime, uh, the Godwins have since turned heel. Uh, they've ditched the colourful shirts. They just come out in their dungarees now, and uh, they're not very—they're they're not very nice uh, hog farmers now. There's no more hillbilly Jim. There's no—there's no more messing with the country boys. And uh, you know, if you've ever heard the original Godwins theme song, "Don't Go Messing with the Country Boys," it is a banger. But uh, yeah, so this is heel Godwins versus the Legion of Doom. Standard four-way big guys clubbering and uh, just just to sort of carry on the continuity of the um, of the feud, uh, they hit a spike pile driver on Henry Godwin's bad neck to to pick up the victory. Um, any any memories from this match before we get into the next segment? Uh, none, but I really do miss pile drivers. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people do. A lot of people who have been in the business. I mean, I listen. I listen to um, uh, the uh, Jim Cornette podcast a lot, and he made a very good point on the pile driver issue. If you know what you're doing, it's one of the safest moves to take. The problem is, it's been outlawed now for so long. There's they're running out of people to teach it. It's been banned so long in WWE the rest of the business seems to take its marching orders from WWE. You do see them occasionally in AEW though. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. I mean, um, is it, um, <sighs> Penta? Yeah. He hits the package pile driver. Um, and you do see a few other moves similar, but yeah, just a good old fashioned Jerry Lawler, Billy Gunn, um, pile driver, uh, yeah, I, I do. I do miss that. That you can't be a good pile driver from time to time. There's a couple of good ones on IWU the other week, wasn't there? Oh yes, yeah. We went to a, an indie show. Um, we went to an indie show uh, locally to us, uh, run by a, a friend of mine, and uh, yeah, they did bust out a few pile drivers. You're right, and yeah. they, and they looked they looked <laughs> they looked really good, and. Um, we, you know, we saw the guys who took them walking around afterwards. So obviously the art is not completely dead, but I do understand your point. We do, we do miss uh, seeing a pile driver because, like any wrestling move, if executed correctly, it is as safe as any other wrestling move. So yeah, that is a shame. But yeah, as far as the match, not a lot of memories for me. No, no, no. I mean, but it's one of the, it's one of those things. It's one of those things where, like, when you're there live, you probably don't absorb as much as you would yeah. later on watching it on TV. Yeah, right. So we are now roughly two thirds away from the pay per view. We are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to complete the pay per view, and then we're going to look a little bit past it. We will be right back, guys. 
are back on the Heel Turn Wrestling Retro Podcast with myself, Titan, and my co-host for today, Mr. Daniel Chettle. How are you doing, sir? Not too bad. I feel like I need a nickname, though. You need a nickname? Yeah. Well, what do you want? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll have one planned by the next podcast. Okay, right. We'll, we'll definitely sort out a nickname. Uh, we've just called you Chet or Skinnies for forever, and... Uh, I'm only I'm only using Titan because it was the first thing I said and it stuck. So we're good. We're just we're just rolling. Yeah, that's with that. really cool. I, I need, yeah, <laughs> I need to think of something. Yeah, I'll think of something. Not check then, no. No, no. no. <laughs> oh right, not your wrestling alter ego. No, no. Okay. That's another story. That yeah. is another story for another time, which we will in fact get to at some point. Now, uh, where we left off before the break, we were discussing the Legion of Doom versus the Godwins. Uh, the Legion of Doom are celebrating in the ring. They then make their way up the ramp. Uh, the music's playing. Uh, the iconic LOD theme. And uh, the camera starts to pan uh, the crowd. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler then cuts off Vince McMahon to say, uh, basically, okay, Vince, stop putting it on. Stop putting the camera on all these blokes and lasses because that's what we call each other in in the jolly in the jolly old uk put the camera on me the camera goes to jerry the king lawler and uh we've got a screen screenshot of um of uh when the camera goes to jerry the king lawler uh if uh if you'd be uh, if you'd be good enough to put that up curtis now so uh we can analyze this a bit closer there you see Jerry the King Lawler and uh, Vince McMahon uh, just discussing uh, their um, their time in the UK so far. Now over the over the King's left shoulder there, uh, we see a young man um, mugging for the camera, and uh, this is going out on live pay per view. Uh, this is also on the big screen uh, where we are sitting. Uh, we see this. Uh, do you want to tell us uh, who that young man mugging for the camera is? So that's me. Yes, it certainly is. That's your pay-per-view debut. It was, yeah. Yeah, and um, first first question, and I think I asked you this at the time. I don't think I've asked you since. Do you remember how you got to basically ringside to within uh, touching distance of Jerry Lawler and Vince McMahon? I think it was just one of those situations where you just keep going. Right. I, th- I thought, you know, I've been obsessed with wrestling since I was probably about six years old. Absolutely. This could be the only time I ever get the chance to go near the front. Absolutely, yeah. Perfect time. Everything's kind of clearing out a bit after a match. Yep. I thought, I'm just going for a wander. Yep. And then, the, the closer and closer I got, I thought, I'm pretty sure that's Jerry the King. Yep. Because at that point, I hadn't really been close enough to the ringside area to yeah. understand really who was sat where or where yeah. the commentators actually you're, were. You're still, you're, still, you're still in that, wow, it's massive in here and it, it, it looks like it does on telly. Yeah, yeah and I, I think I just kept going really. And then I kind of got to a barrier and I was like, Jesus, I'm, I'm behind Jerry the King and Vince. Yep. And then I think I was just young enough and bolshy enough yep. to just think sod it i need to get on the camera absolutely and because because it's an on because it was an, an on camera there's a cameraman yeah right in your direction and um again if you actually go to uh the part of the um the show we're talking about 
obviously we can only use uh, still frames here um you will see uh, my uh, my co-host um appear behind jerry the king lawler and he spots himself on the screen and he starts sticking his thumb up which is great he's on tv he's on camera and uh, I believe just before that, you'd been patting Jerry the King Lawler on the shoulder. Yeah, on his sho shoulder pad. On his yeah. shoulder pad, yeah. And um, trying to get his attention. And uh, then uh, we see a big security guard strangle you away from the barrier. Yeah. And then when we think your appearance is over, uh, return of the chat uh, with a vengeance, uh, out comes the middle finger. Uh, you are flipping off a pay-per-view audience of thousands and a DVD audience of millions and a WWE Network slash Peacock audience of infinity for all time. Immortalised on, on screen forever, you flipping off the camera is my favourite memory of One Night Only 1997. And uh, so how would you describe your WWF debut? <laughs> It was fun. I mean, it, I mean, it, to be as debuts go, it's up there with um, it's up there with Kane and Jericho, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you you got to make an impact, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. I thought I had no idea. To, for the record, I had no idea I was actually on the screen. I just knew if I was, if there was a minute possibility mm -hmm. that I that I was going to be, there's only one thing to do. Absolutely, you've got to get your middle finger up. Of course, yeah. And then okay. I went back to my seat. I remember walking back somehow with adrenaline fueled. Yeah. Just kind of wandering back up, and I just remember everybody was laughing, kind of, and my dad and everybody was kind of like. So, so, so you, so again, just funny what you remember. Uh, the match had finished. Uh, I was probably talking to maybe my mum, maybe one of the other lads we were there with, and um, your dad taps me and goes, "Look, it's Dan," and we're like. Oh my God, how does he get there? How does, how does he get there? And we're here, how does he get there? But you, you were having a lot of success getting near the barrier from that point. Absolutely. Whereas um, uh, me, me and Rick, I do remember me and Rick uh, constantly getting stopped because there was like, there was a secondary barrier where they'd let several people through just to tag the wrestlers and then they'd put the barrier across. We never got past that barrier. You were obviously a lot slipperier than we were, and uh, we salute you for that because it's given us a wonderful story to tell yeah. here on the Heel Turn podcast. So, yeah. Uh, my... no, last thing on that. Go on. I had a Brett Hitman Hart t-shirt on. You certainly did. There was a lot of people there in Austin t-shirts. There absolutely was. That would constantly give it the big one. Oh, absolutely. Anti-authority. Yeah, yeah. No way. Yeah. Hitman fan. Yeah. Front row. Yeah, and... and... Just, just to be absolutely sure, you had purchased that shirt there. Absolutely, it's yeah. about eight sizes too big. But you got to do what you got to do. Absolutely. And uh, I, the only shirt I wanted, obviously, was an Austin three sixteen shirt. And uh, when whoever went to get me one came back, they said they had Vader or Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> and with all due respect to both men, I said, "No, nah, I'm all right." Yeah. But hey ho, it's just the work. That's just the world we were living in. I'm sure they were the first ones to go, and uh, I've got one now. So you know, all's well that ends well in in the world of uh, wrestling and uh, clothing items. So where hey? So um, moving on from um, what I call the real main event, which is your appearance, 
We move on to uh, Owen Hart versus Vader. Again, a uh, a match added late, later on in the day uh, due to injuries to several personnel. I remember this match being really, really... The 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 work rate went up, yeah, uh, tremendously. I think as a, as an old school WCW fan, uh, both of us actually we remember Vader as the absolute monster. Big fan of Vader, Owen Hart, uh, just in it, just what what a professional wrestler. There very few would touch Owen Hart uh, then and. Definitely now. Deceivingly big. Deceivingly big. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because he was never. He was ne- He was. He was always portrayed as one of the smallest, if not the smallest. And on the sort of the classic WWF roster, you'd probably only put, say, the one, two, three kid as smaller than him. But as someone who's actually met Sean Waltman, I can I can tell you now. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm six foot four. I'm a big guy. Uh, Sean Waltman isn't that much smaller than I am, and he was one of the smallest guys. So you you factor in a, a Vader, uh, an Undertaker, a, a Kane, a, a Kevin Nash, a Triple H, a Billy Gunn. The, I was going to say Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn. I mean, you look at Billy Gunn now on AEW. He is probably the biggest guy on that roster by a mile, and it, it's not even close. People like the wrestling industry lacks big dudes in abundance now, because it's uh, I think just because just because of the way wrestling's gone. But Owen Hart, like you say, deceivingly big, still dwarfed by Vader. Fantastic match. Uh, Owen Hart rallies in the in in the home straight, comes off the top rope with a crossbody. Vader turns it into a big power slam for the one, two, three. But I do remember that match and the two subsequent matches, which we're going to get to. That's where the show really picked up in terms of this was the wrestling portion. We'd had the sports entertainment. This was the wrestling portion. This is where it was really going to pick up and um, make it memorable. It had already been memorable on a personal level, but memorable as a pay-per-view in general. Owen was so good, wasn't he? Owen was incredible. I was thinking, yeah, he was so good. He kind of... Yeah, he did have the size to back it up as well. I never knew until we went and and saw him in person. He was really heavy, like hard hitting. Mm. And he always kind of came across as like a high flyery kind of absolutely well. I mean, flashy wrestler. I mean, I mean, he was. I mean, I mean, in ca- I mean, in character, he he was a, he was a weasel. He was a well, yeah. well, it, it wasn't a thing then, but you know, they called him the Nugget. Yeah. And um, yeah, but I mean, he was. He was more in the vein of like a Benoit or a, an Angle, wasn't it? You kind of absolutely. I think I think that's one of the, that's one of those things, and similar similar with Brett. I mean, because a lot of people say um, the one match people wish they got to see but it just didn't happen because they never crossed paths was uh brett versus angle i would put owen as a, as a, just as a wrestler owen versus angle yeah would have been an incredible match as well but obviously brett was the bigger the bigger star i think we could say that but in terms of wrestler i think owen and brett uh yeah on a similar level definitely um so now speaking of your boy we get to the uh, uh, the semi-main event for the WWF title. Earlier in the night, there had been a um, 
uh, a promo on the screen with Brett. And uh, a mixed reaction. Mixed reaction on TV, but I remember it being mixed in the arena. There was a, a mixed reaction for Brett. And Brett just addresses it. Um, Vince says, I don't think they like you here. Now, obviously, that didn't apply to yourself. I, I was a Hitman fan. Um, but but there were audible boos. There was cheers, but there was boos. And Brett makes a point of saying, well, all they watch is American television. So he's still playing into the, the kayfabe, the, well, you know, it's American propaganda. You know, you boo, you boo, me, you boo me because the Americans tell you to boo me, etc., etc. But again, like like any good, uh, we'll call him the heel because that was the role he was portrayed in. Like any good heel, Brett never lied. He never lied. He believed his cause was just, and he believed his cause was worthy, was a worthy one to follow. Now, going into the match, uh, this is the rematch from SummerSlam '97, which we obviously spoke about earlier. Bret Hart puts this match as one of his, uh, I think he put it in his top five of matches that he's ever had. And to go back and, and again, live watching it, you're just enthralled by the spectacle. And again, uh, and the undertaker live is an experience on its own. That's, that was, that was, that was a really big thing for me to, um, see the undertaker make his entrance live and he stands on the steps and he bring and instead of bringing up the lights slowly he did the like the thunderclap his arms go straight up big and that got a big big cheer um but the one thing i remember and you might um you might back me up on this so brett would do the he'd go to all four sides of the ring uh, and do his pose he had on the uh, the winged eagle belt because he was the champ, which is, I'm sure you'll agree, the best-looking WWE or WWF title belt in history. Absolutely. With Without question. Uh, Brett gets in the ring, and the first side he comes to is the side we're on. And I had my, uh, my camera, and I was snapping for all my worth just to get a picture of Brett with the winged eagle, and uh, they all come out blurry, <laughs> which, is, which is just the way it goes. But... I just remember seeing that and thinking, right, that's a champ right there. That's the champ right there. He looks like a champion. He carried himself like a champion. Bret Hart, Undertaker. It's gone from right. This is the work rate portion where this is the big time now. We're in the big. We're in the big time matches. We're in the. We're in the. Uh, we're in the Premier League now. <clears throat> so this match, um, you take the finish away. Because it ends up, uh, the Undertaker ends up getting disqualified, because Brett is just uh, too cagey for him. Um, when was the last time you you watched this match? Have you have you watched it since since it happened? Since we were there, and do you remember it being as good live as as it was when you rewatched it? I've never rewatched it. I'm not. I, I kind of go out of my way not to rewatch stuff that I've attended live. Really? Yeah, I've, I did it with. Um, I know it's not a football podcast, but I've done the same thing with Leicester winning the title. Right. Never gone back and watched any of the trophy lifting or anything. 
what I remember from the match, <coughs> being there at the time, mm-hmm. probably the figure four around the post. Yeah, because cause that, that was a... It was almost like that was part of his heel move set. Yeah, I just don't know why it sticks in my mind. Yeah, and it and it and again, really innovative move for its time, and um, yeah, I know what you mean. The there there are the things where you'd think, oh, I remember the 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 sharpshooter attempt. I remember the tombstone attempt. Yeah. I remember the choke slam. Um, if I remember rightly, I don't think Eva Man got his like finisher. In in the match, uh, there was a uh, Undertaker definitely hit a choke slam, uh, but there was no tombstone. Uh, the there wasn't a sharpshooter, was there? There wasn't a sharpshooter. No, no. Um, it was just. Uh, but again, Brett puts it in his um, in his top five matches, and if you go on to his um, uh, WWE uh, biography DVD, which I believe the entire set is now on the network or Peacock in the US. Um, he lists that as one of his all-time favourite matches, and uh, it was a rematch. It was just it was uh, it it didn't have the hype of SummerSlam '97, but uh, Brett, who is more than qualified um, to say which match is which which match is good and which match isn't, Brett qualifies that as one of his best matches ever. And to say we were there for one of Brett's best matches ever. I th- that's that's something to brag about. Yeah, we'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 we did. Uh, the one thing that wasn't taken was uh, Undertaker did not take the WWF title back to the dark side. He ends up choking Brett with the um, with the uh, the ring rope and uh, will not break. And the referee disqualifies him. Now, um, upon more recent viewing, and I think I brought this up to you quite recently. Um, the ring announcer for the UK shows at the time was a German gentleman named Carsten Schaefer. Um, obviously he he ring announced in English, but he was a German he was a German guy. He announces that uh, uh, the winner and still WWF champion Brett the Hitman Hart. This doesn't sit well with the Undertaker, who chases Carsten Schaefer into the crowd. Now, in the background, uh, we do see your second appearance. Yeah, I'm yet to see this. On this, on this pay-per-view. So, Carsten Schaefer gets chased into the crowd, and you're not flipping anyone off this time or sticking your thumb up. You're just uh, applauding politely, little golf clap in the background while this, this uh, ring announcer is fleeing for his life because there's a big zombie after him. Brilliant. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's your second appearance. So, now... Uh, we get to our main event. Um, Shawn Michaels, uh, Heartbreak Kid, uh, he does a uh, pre-match interview with uh, Vince, and again, he is 100% clean and sober. There is absolutely nothing impairing his judgment, and uh, he makes some questionable remarks about his opponent and about the uh the crowd uh but that doesn't stop um him getting a a relatively positive reaction uh mainly uh women and children and speaking of women there's a few young ladies in the front row um who uh sean sees and um they look 
uh, late teens, early 20s, and Sean plants a smacker on both of them before entering the ring. Um, no clarification on if there was any tongues. I'm sure they were bragging about it for a long time uh, because they looked well chuffed. Anyway, Sean makes his entrance. And also one thing I do remember, I don't know if you remember this, while he, Sean's uh, hand slapping like a, like a good heel, as you do. And um, a young man has a British Bulldog figure and he keeps he keeps hitting Sean with the British Bulldog figure. So Sean takes the British Bulldog figure, looks at it, dangles it, and then drops it. Not where the kid can pick it up. You know, this is this kid's toy. He just drops it. Again, like a good heel. So, you know, Sean's, Sean's making friends across the pond, as, as one does. And then we get the, uh, the hometown hero. We get the British Bulldog, who is accompanied, again, by his cancer-stricken sister, who he has dedicated this match to. Uh, his sister, I forget her name right now, uh, joins uh, Davy Boy's wife, Diana, in the front row. And the British Bulldog is getting an incredible reaction. Now, what were your memories of this match? This is the main event. This is what we're all here for. What are your memories of uh, the entrances, this match as a whole, before we get to the uh, the end? It's really loud, wasn't it? It yeah. was just so loud it, in there. It, 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 got, it got very football match. Yeah, massively, like, boxing, kind of. Boxing, yeah. Um, this is where I... They always reference this in British shows, but this is where I distinctly remember live the air horns. Yeah. The, uh, 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 bulldog. Yeah. There was a lot of that. Now, um, I guess we were, uh, I say we, um, me and uh, Rick and Tully, uh, can't speak for yourself and Tim, um, we were kind of like on the download cheering for Sean. Um, but again, we were, we, we, were, we weren't partisan in any way. We were just there to have fun, but we were cheering for Sean. I think quite a few people were, weren't they? I, again, I think it, it was more the uh, the the dudes, the the lads, the lads, lads yeah. were, were all bulldog. Um, the women and children cheering for Sean. There was some, you know. Again, it was probably sixty forty bulldog. Yeah. Yeah, but but the bull but the bulldog chants were loud, and uh, you can hear it on you can hear it on television. Um, again, uh, we you know. It's his hometown. He's dedicated it to his sister. What can go wrong? Speaking of what can go wrong, um, Ravishing Rick Rude makes his way down to the um, to the ringside area, quickly followed by Triple H, quickly followed again by China. Now, Sean had brought in Rick Rude as his uh, quote-unquote insurance policy, um, and it was just really random. I don't know what your recollections are. It was just really random to see Rick Rude on WWF TV in 1997. Yeah, and that really ill-fitting suit as well, didn't he? Yeah, well, when you're built like Rick Rude, it's hard to get suits yeah. off the rack. Uh, yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> and so he's had like this loose association with Rick Rude. Well, no, he had Rick Rude as kind of his bodyguard, essentially, but he had this loose association... Kind of um, an association by 
you know, it was like a, it was like they had mutual enemies. But this was the first time where we saw what would become DX. This was the first time we saw this unit, the original foursome, if you like, um, DX become a thing, all working together to assist Sean. Bulldog goes out on the onto the floor with Sean, um, attempts to hit the running power slam on the outside. Uh, his foot slips off. The ring was raised on a platform. Um, his foot slips off the platform and he twists his knee, um, trying to attempt trying to attempt the power slam. Triple H, China, and Rick Rude, behind the referee's back, go to work on the bulldog. And um, once he's thrown back in the ring, Shawn Michaels locks on the figure four. And Shawn Michaels is receiving additional leverage. We're a big fan of additional outside leverage, whether it be the top rope or someone pulling your arms. Uh, Shawn Michaels is receiving additional leverage on the figure four and live. And I thought, no, I'm probably imagining this, but when I went back and watched it, this figure four goes on for a long time. I think I had a birthday seeing that figure four. It goes on a long time. And the whole time you're watching it, you're thinking, Bulldog will be fine. Because what did Bulldog do before the match, Daniel? Well, he dedicated it to his uh, terminally ill sister, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. So imagine the horror when Earl Hebner who um, is known for, you know, just being honest and trustworthy when it comes to refereeing. Sorry to bring it up. Imagine a horror when Earl Hebner rings the bell with Bulldog in a submission hold and they announce... God. They announce your winner by submission and new European champion, not the British Bulldog, but Shawn Michaels. He was straight out of there, weren't he? No. Did he milk it? Yes. I can't quite remember. So, the crowd is booing. And the only reason I say myself, what I said about myself, Rick and Tully, down low cheering Sean. When it happened, we were on the floor. Now, I don't know if you were in front of us near the guardrail or if you were up in your seat. That's probably backstage at that point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just saying, yeah, well played, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, yeah, great show out there, brother. Great middle finger. Great middle finger. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, but yeah, I'm cheering the fact that Sean's won. And again, just to be a bit rebellious, I was just happy that, you know, no, no title was ever going to change hands on British soil. Never changed hands on British soil. And then it did. And it was just more the shock of, oh my God, it's happened. This happened. And then Sean decides to bait uh, Diana, who is sitting with said terminally ill sister. Uh, China then goes over and grabs Bulldog's wife, uh, Bret Hart and Owen Hart's sister, and brings her into the ring. And Sean starts to make uh, a few nasty comments towards her. And all the time, the British Bulldog is just laying there, passed out. Uh, Brett and Owen come to run them off. And the show goes off the air 
with um, Sean, Triple H and China mugging for the camera. Weirdly enough, calling themselves the Triple Threat, which um, me and you both know was a stable in uh, ECW. Yeah. So they were really trying to just just rip off anything they could at that point. But that's that's what they would they would end up being known as uh, DX. Show goes off the air. Uh, one thing I remember live is as Brett and Owen have came come out to save Bulldog and Diana. Sean is up on the stage and Sean ends up climbing up one of the um, scaffolds. Yeah, I can remember that. I can't remember the bit in between, admittedly, but I do remember that. He climbs up the scaffold and he gets to the very top and he hangs with one hand holding on and the other hand with the belt in Yeah, he was proper milking it. He he? was proper milking it. And um, just to prove that kayfabe was alive and well in 1997, while I was cheering Sean, uh, some big tattooed dude, I'm sure he probably had love and hat tattooed on his knuckles, um, scolded me for uh, cheering Sean and not being patriotic enough. So um, I hope he's renewed his uh, EDL membership. Anyway, that is the end of the show. Uh, On the other side of the break, we're just going to talk about uh, where this led and uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, So join us after this short break. Back again on the podcast, uh, still with Titan, still with Chet, and uh, uh, one not only is in the books, and uh, we have a new European champion in Shawn Michaels, and um, following this pay-per-view, a lot of big stuff off the back of this pay-per-view, not necessarily related to the pay-per-view, but in the WWF, uh, times they are a-changing. we go to Raw the Monday after. Um, we'd already addressed um, Vince McMahon ate his first stunner on that Raw. Um, but behind the scenes, and I remember hearing this and thinking, nah, that'll never happen because it, it, it's, it just wouldn't happen. It just, it just wouldn't make any sense. Um, Bret Hart and Vince McMahon have a discussion which basically leads to Vince saying, I can't afford your contract. Uh, You might want to go and see if WCW still have an offer for you. Now, as a Bret Hart guy, when you hear that it's not just speculation, but it's, it's very, very likely that he will end up in WCW sooner rather than later, what are you thinking? There's a lot of potential there, weren't there, for some really good matches for Bret in WCW. Yeah, yeah. But as a hardcore WWF fan at that point, I just couldn't imagine pay-per-views, TV without Brett. I just couldn't imagine it at that point. That's the thing. Like, uh, you know, there was never any thought. Bret Hart was the post, almost the poster boy, the poster guy for WWF at the time. And him in WCW... Uh, it just didn't compute at the time it, and I and I was very up until I actually saw it with my own eyes I was very I was very sceptical and I was convinced ah nah he'll stay he'll stay because he had to because he was Brett um, 
also following on from the pay-per-view just a couple of weeks later we have um the very first and what i believe best hell in the cell match with Shawn michaels and the undertaker um a classic match uh which also gives us our first look at kane which again i think is one of the best debuts in wwf history um and this all comes on the same day uh, the uh, the wrestling business, the wrestling world loses Brian Pillman. Uh, a lot going on with that show. What do you remember uh, from the time and obviously having watched it back since? Uh, Bad Blood as a whole, the pay-per-view um, with um, Undertaker, Sean, Kane, uh, all in Hell in the Cell and the whole thing with Pillman. What, what's your overriding memories from from that period Pillman was no great shock was it even at that age I think we kind of understood his his gimmick was very closely tied to his real life yeah troubles yeah I, th- I think but when you think like at the time I mean me and you were I believe 15 and 12 yeah uh, Pillman was 36 we're both over that age now and to think of it in those terms it really brings it home. Yeah, it's still shocking, but not. It wasn't the most surprising news. No, and um, I think what really what really brings it home is the night after Bad Blood. As far as Pillman concerned, Pillman is concerned. They do a ten bell salute to Brian Pillman, and they while they're uh, panning across the wrestlers, there's um, it. It cuts to a lot of faces on the stage who would suffer a similar fate not long afterwards, uh, Bulldog, um, uh, Road Warrior Hawk. Um, obviously, Owen was there. That was obviously a completely different situation. Um, but yeah, again, it was... It. I think... Do you think we were kind of desensitised to wrestler deaths at the time? Yeah, I think we were just coming into that period of being desensitised to it, definitely. Because it, 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 it was, you know... Whereas now you, you 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 hardly ever hear about it. Whereas back then, it did seem to be like, well, yeah, you know, Pillman died, but you know, it was a, it was I know it was a Sunday, and you could just be that blasé about it. Yeah, it, it just always seemed to be occurring, and obviously the reasons for it are, you know, there's 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 drugs, there's alcohol, and it's been widely documented. We don't we're not gonna we're not gonna end on such a such a <laughs> such a down note. I you know I didn't you know want to bring it down like that, but we enter into what um, having watched uh, Wrestling with Shadows, and if none of you, if any of you out there haven't watched the Wrestling with Shadows documentary, uh, you need to stop listening to this, go and watch it, and then come back because it is. Um, to this day, my my favourite wrestling documentary to watch. It is a real eye-opener to see what went into the last year of Bret Hart's WWF career and how Montreal went down. Now, going into Montreal, uh, the build-up was, for me, again, just I was completely 100% kayfabe. I, I was not a smart fan. A lot of this is uh, anecdotal, going back and looking and hearing about what was going on. At the time, 
what I saw on TV was what I saw and what I believed. Going into Survivor Series, uh, were you were you were you personally under any uh, were you uh, w- were there any misconceptions with you? Did you know or did you suspect this might be the end for Britain WWF, or did you just think this is just another title match? He'll either win or he'll lose, and we'll just go on tomorrow. Yeah, I was just excited for the match. I just I was, I was just so excited to see them two go at it. Because we'd been promised the rematch, yeah, a lot. And that's why wrestling is so, so much more enjoyable when you you have no, no kind of, you're not distracted by the backstage politics and stuff. I've said this to you many times, haven't I? It's Absolutely. Just, it's so much better when you can just, just view it as a product how it's intended to be viewed. Yeah, I think um, that was the case for me with that match. I was just really excited for that match. One hundred percent. Uh, and, and I was the same. So I don't know. No, in fact, I do know. I do know exactly how I found out the result of the match. I found out the result and how it happened, but I did not. It didn't compute when I was told. A friend of mine at school had stayed up to watch it. Uh, I didn't have Sky at the time. I don't think you did either. No, of course we didn't. No, no. I mean, we, we, we didn't have the money for that. <laughs> uh, um I got told that uh, Shawn Michaels won the match because uh, Brett um, submitted in the sharpshooter, and my exact the exact word I used to my uh, friend was a word I can't say on YouTube, but it was a slang term for male genitalia. That's a load of male genitalia, and he was very steadfast in his note. Sean put him in the sharpshooter and the referee rang the bell because Brett quit. Now, we know now what happened. When you see that for the first time, what 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 goes through your mind? Because I was like, something's wrong here. Yeah, it didn't even... It was just so... It was haphazard, wasn't it? It, it didn't even make sense as a kind of kayfabe viewer. no. Nothing, it didn't make sense. It didn't translate into a wrestling product or how it was delivered was absolutely terrible. Yeah. And there was no explanation. There was no, nothing just made sense at that point. See, I put this down to, and again, like I said, I was, I was, I was 15 years old at the time and you were, you were 12. We both, we, you know, we both read, like we said earlier, we read the Power Slam magazine, but you know that's a magazine published monthly sometimes the information was a few weeks out of date just because of the uh just because of the logistics of print media which is not a thing now really with you know the internet i can remember watching it and just being really confused yeah even the way sean kind of flopped down it never actually looked like there wasn't there was just no there was no end to that match it just kind of happened and then the event kind of ended. Yeah, because Brett, because yeah, because Sean, he kind of let go, didn't he, he? Yeah, Brett's trying to reverse reverse the sharpshooter. The bell's already gone. Brett hocks a massive loogie on Vince. Yeah, and he gets it in his eye. He gets it in his hair. And uh, I mean, obviously now everybody who's a wrestling fan knows what happened for real. Um, it was a, a double cross, and 
what we didn't realize is if you go back and you watch 1997 WWF, there are times where Brett keeps saying, um, you know, the WWF has screwed me and, you know, and, and this, and the thing was for all the, for all the kayfabe things he was saying in the end, life imitated art massively. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and again, it's just, it's just, I've never seen a year like it where the, that was the first year where the backstage became as, as pivotal as what was on screen for me. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now, but now we look back as wrestling fans, 1997 is a year, which even in this day and age, because of, because of how we said, like, you know, we kind of lost our wrestling innocence in 1997. Things would never be the same again. We can never go back to being just just Mark fans, just completely not smart, not clued in. It's just not the world we live in. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. But 1997 is a year where it's, it's the equivalent of finding out Father Christmas isn't real. Yeah. Do you not do you not think it was <laughs> it was that we lost our wrestling innocence, but we did have the experience of going to our first WWF show one night only, and um, that is a memory uh, we'll never forget. And um, yeah, nineteen ninety seven. Uh, if if you're not familiar with nineteen ninety seven WWF, and you do have the WWF network, uh, I encourage you to go and watch as much of it as possible. And I don't know, read it, re, re, just just read up on 1997, uh, an incredible year for wrestling, which if you live through it like we did, uh, we'll stick with you. We, we'll stick with you for um, forever. So, Daniel, your uh, your podcast debut, uh, how many stars do you reckon Meltzer would, would give your performance on his current scale? Solid three. A solid three stars. Yeah. I mean... I mean, the Bucks get five just for like an opening match on Dynamite. So we'll give you four and a half. That's another podcast, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes, it is. And we will cover uh, the Young Bucks. We will cover uh, some All Elite Wrestling. Uh, We will uh, cover some uh, more wrestling origin stories about uh, how we became wrestling fans and uh, many other tricks up our sleeve when we return on the Heel Turn Wrestling Podcast. Say goodnight, Daniel. Good night, Daniel. And good night from me, Titan. Take care, guys. See you on the next one.